this week on Political Research Digest, Are Americans Becoming Tribal with Identity Politics Trumping All? For the Niskanen Center, I'm Matt Grossman. Democrats and Republicans are sorting ideologically and socially, and we're developing more negative opinions of one another. Are we dividing into two irreconcilable tribes or just tuning out both parties? A new study finds that partisan identity is stronger when people's ethnic, religious, and ideological identities are strong and linked to their party's predominant groups. I talked to Liliana Mason of the University of Maryland, co-author with Julie Ronsky of One Tribe to Bind Them All, How Our Social Group Attachments Strengthen Partisanship, published in Political Psychology, about the rise of tribalism. But perhaps it's a bit overblown, with many citizens just disliking both parties. I also talked to John Barry Ryan of Stony Brook University about new research on whether we now fear our children marrying someone from the other party. He is co-author with Samara Klar and Yana Krupnikov of Affective Polarization or Partisan Disdain, Untangling a Dislike for the Opposing Party from a Dislike of Partisanship in Public Opinion Quarterly. The conventional wisdom is that we are divided by issues, with Democrats the party of identity politics. But Liliana Mason says partisanship is tied to strong, overlapping group identities on both sides. Our social identities build up a partisan identity. And the more we are members of a kind of correct group, which means the groups that are associated with our party, the stronger we feel attached to our party. And then the second thing that we found is that there was actually an asymmetry uh, in some of our in some of our models between Democrats and Republicans. So Republicans ended up looking more sensitive. They came across as more sensitive to violations of, of being in the, in the party-aligned group. Two divided social group coalitions now represent a troubling change in the party system. The assumption that American, the American party system is stable and reliable, partly because you have a lot of cross-cutting identities. So, you know, your next-door neighbor might not be in the same party as you, but you might go to the same church. And so that helped us understand our partisan opponents in a way that made them kind of more human and more relatable. And what's really been happening over the past few decades, really since the 70s, is that these groups that used to be cross-cutting for us uh, has sort of moved into alignment with our party. So it's much less frequent that you know, an, an outgroup partisan is also a member of our church or is also a member of some organization that we're in. So we have less social and cultural contact with people who are not in our party. Mason and Ronsky measured social sorting in two ways, finding it mattered more if you were objectively in a group that was tied to each party. We think about, we call it sorting, which is just sort of the matching between your social groups and your party. And so we think of it in two ways. One is objective sorting, which means are you a member of the groups that are associated with your party, regardless of whether or not you understand what those what those match those matches are supposed to be? And then there's subjective sorting, which means do you feel close um, to groups that are that you also think are associated with your party? In the first one, it's sort of an implicit way of thinking about sorting because people, you know, are identified with their racial and religious and ideological groups, and they are and those groups match their party. And they generally maybe feel um, closer to their party without necessarily consciously knowing that that's why. Um, but they do. We do find that that's the case. The subjective measure is that you can feel close to individual social groups that you're in. And you can also think that those groups are connected to your party, whether or not you're correct. 
the people might actually think that their that their you know racial group is connected to their party wrongly. They might actually be wrong about it. But so regardless, if you feel like your party matches your own group, then that's subjective. And and actually, what we found was that the objective measure: are you closely affiliated with the groups that objectively match your party? That actually had a stronger effect than the kind of subjective, explicit uh, understanding of, you know, are your groups close to your party? They were predicting whether you like your own party members. The measure of in-party support generally is this, uh, the feel thermometer, which is, you know, uh, ranges from zero to 100, and, you know, zero is you feel the most coldly towards the, towards the your group, and 100 is you feel the most warmly towards your group. And it's a it's a relatively common measure of your sort of feelings towards the group or approval of a group or liking liking of a group. And really, the reason that we used that measure was that we wanted to get at not necessarily the traditional seven-point scale of partisanship, but we wanted to see, you know, is, do you have, you know, when you're a member of these matched groups, does it increase your affection? for your party. You actually like people better who are in your party if you are a member of each group. They found Republicans normally had lower views of their own party, but actually were more affected by their overlapping identities. There is a difference between Democrats and Republicans in terms of the social makeup of the two parties. And I think this is really where we're finding this this extra sensitivity to identity among Republicans. If you think about the Democratic Party, in fact, what we found in most of our samples was that the majority of Democrats are white, um, and in one of our samples, the majority of Democrats were also Christian. And But those are not, white and Christian are not Democratic Party-linked identities. So what happens is, in, within the Democratic Party, people tend to feel more cross-pressures in general, and Democrats seem to be more comfortable with and exposed to cross-pressures in the sense that there are plenty of people in their party who are not like them socially. For Republicans, there are many fewer identities that match with the Republican Party. So when you're, for Republicans, they the identities that match with being Republican are white and Christian and conservative. And there aren't as many people in the Republican Party who don't match those three particular categories. It wasn't enough just to be a white Christian Republican or a minority atheist Democrat. You needed to feel close to your groups to make it matter. It is absolutely dependent on feeling connected to that group that you're in. So Julie Ronsky, my co-author, and I actually had a um, bit of paper uh, at a conference last year where we looked at the effects of just simply belonging to these groups, and it had no effect at all. So if you are, you know, objectively a member of a group, but you don't identify as a member of that group, it doesn't have any effect on your party identity. Religious and ideological identities, of course, are associated with viewpoints, but Mason says they matter more as social group identifiers. Even among people who have very unconstrained, conflicting issue positions, or uh, consistently moderate issue positions, the identification with a group called liberals or conservatives can make people really dislike their their ideological opponents. So, you know, liberals who feel strongly identified as liberals, even if they have very moderate policy attitudes, uh, they really hate conservatives. And conservatives who feel very strongly identified as conservatives, even if they have moderate policy attitudes, they really hate liberals. 
With the help of the party elites, sorting and partisanship are increasing over time. And Mason says that's no coincidence. This is definitely something that has been changing over time. During the 70s and 80s, we had a lot more cross-cutting identities than we have now. And part of that is us actually, you know, it, part of that is us being, having better media and understanding better, getting better cues about which party represents which group. But also part of it is the parties themselves making it very clear, um, either by, you know, Democratic Party, uh, you know, supporting the Civil Rights Act in 1954 and making it clear where they stood on civil rights issues, or the Republican Party aligning themselves with the Christian right during the 80s and 90s, uh, making it clear that, you know, Christians are, you know, belong in the Republican Party. So there were, you know, there were party actions that, uh, that communicated information. And then gradually over time, people started, you know, making sure that they were in the party that represented their group. But John Barry Ryan says his new research with Samara Klar and Yana Krupnikov finds a lot of people who are tuning out of the partisan tribes. For most people, politics isn't this central aspect of their life. And because it's not the most central aspect of their life, they don't have these uh, polarized views about the, the other party in, in the same sort of way. When I talk about polarization here, what's important to note is that I don't necessarily mean issue positions. I mean uh, what political scientists have called affective polarization. So it's this sort of emotional polarization. Um, and so one of the ways that people have shown this is by asking this question, how would you feel if your child married someone from the other party? And there's no doubt that, that the number of people who say they'd be unhappy with that has increased. Uh, especially in recent years. What we've done with our experiment is add a little bit of context to that question, talking about how much they would actually talk about politics, what they talk about a lot, what they talk about rarely. What do you think about, you can sort of a baseline to some extent, what would you think about the marrying someone from your own party? And you see, if the person's from the other party and they're not going to talk about politics that much, they really don't care. Um, and at the same time, if you have people who, if you have somebody who's going to marry someone from your own party and they're going to talk about politics a lot, that sometimes will turn a lot of people off, right? So the main takeaway is this idea that for the bulk of Americans, politics isn't the central uh, motivating identity. But for a certain group of people, it is. And those people post more on Twitter, uh, are more likely to run for office. And because of that, it seems, you know, this sort of observation bias makes it seem like that's the way everybody is about politics. And it just isn't. Ryan says a lot of people no longer like their own party. The turn against your own party uh, has increased. That's the thing that's really sort of changed. People turning against their own party saying, I don't like my party. And if you look at the NES, NES data, it doesn't appear that the reason people don't like their own party is because they aren't liberal or conservative enough. It's, uh, especially on the Republican side, it's probably that they're too conservative or too inflexible or, you know, uh, sort of negative uh, opinion towards their own party. They tested whether people really steadfastly oppose their kids marrying someone from the other party with an experiment. We conducted this experiment uh, in two phases. We conducted an experiment in January 2016 and then in the summer of 2016 around the time of convention. And what we do is we ask people how would they feel about marrying someone from uh, the Democratic Party and how is it that they're choosing their child marrying someone from the Democratic Party or their child marrying someone from the Republican Party. And what we then do is we have various opinions that we put them in. So one group, that's all we tell them. And the other group, 
we tell them that the child is going to really talk about politics, but the child, the child in law will really talk about politics. In another group, we tell them the child in law will frequently talk about politics. And they found that a lot of people were not very concerned. The majority answer in a lot of these treatments is, it makes me neither happy nor unhappy, right? And so if that's the case, you could imagine that when there's an event that requires the attention of the public to come up and say, hey, government, do something about that, that those people would rise up and would sort of put pressure on government and on other things uh, in sort of other times in which it's sort of like uh, things are sort of going okay, there's tweaks that could happen, uh, but they're not necessary, that they won't argue that those things are life and death. Around one quarter of strong partisans and 10% of the rest were more unhappy with the opposite party marriage, even if the party partners rarely discussed politics. But Ryan isn't sure whether they would actually cause family drama. The problem, right, with a hypothetical experiment is that uh, people can say certain things and just sort of answer the question uh, without actually having to do the thing that the question is referring them to. And I think it was Aton Hurst did a thing for 538 where he switched the question from Democrats and Republicans to baseball teams. And, and I'm a San Francisco Giants fan, and uh, I have a daughter, and if her uh, married somebody who was a Dodgers fan, this would make me very unhappy. Um, and Aton showed that you get the same sort of levels that you get for these partisan questions, right? Um, and part of his, I think the part of his point of his sort of blog post was, well, you know, no one would say that the great dividing line in uh, uh, in the in the United States is baseball team preference. But you're just asking people, well, what would you prefer? And I would prefer to not have a game versus the Giants and Dodgers and watch my son-in-law happy about it, uh, happy happy was going with my team losing. Um, and so there's that, right? But I think the other thing that matters here is. That, that separates it a little bit from the from the baseball example. And so, so I guess the point there being that, like, but if my daughter really loves the guy and he's a good guy, the fact that he's from Los Angeles, I will look overlook that, right? Um, even if the fact that he's a Dodgers fan is less, you know, I would prefer if he supported almost any other team. But what happens with the politics thing is I think there is something that's being shown here, right? It's not that they would actually stand at the altar and stop the kid uh, from marrying. Um, and you can see this with some uh, studies people have done with dating websites. It is this question of if all you give me in the treatment is that this person is a Republican or this person is a Democrat, I am now going to picture in my head who that person is. And you know what? I don't like that picture of that person. Ryan agrees with Mason that strong partisans may not like the social stereotype of the other party. If you hang around with Democrats, you think the Republicans are really extreme, right? And so there are these stereotypes that people have in the parties. And, and really what the questions are showing is, what do you think of the stereotypical Democrat or Republican? And I think it is true that you do have this sort of group of people who really have an affective dislike to the stereotype of a Democrat or Republican. They found only half of people like their own party and dislike the other party, with less conservative Republicans more frustrated with their own party. If you're a Republican, you and especially with the Republicans with the ANS data, you have to be concerned that I can't count on these people showing up, right? And so you lose in Alabama. You lose in a lot of these special elections. But on the other hand, right, it's not so low, uh, in, in ter well, it's not so high in terms of people who dislike your own party that you can't use the fact that they still don't like the Democrats to sort of at least 
activate them when they were going to show up anyway, right? So you'll still get them to vote for Trump and hold their nose while doing it. Mason says it will be hard to get the parties out of increasing social sorting, but it could change with either a rift or a shift in response to losing. There has to be some limit to it. This is something that is, it clearly changes over time. We have had very cross-cutting identities, you know, just 40 years ago, and now we have extremely sorted identities, and it's not unrealistic to think that maybe we'll have cross-cutting identities again someday. You know, and that can happen by seeing, you know, a major rift in one of the two parties where, you know, half of one party starts voting with the other party and then our cues become unclear and people don't aren't exactly sure who represents who. And, um, you know, that's one way out of it. Another way out is, um, you know, sort of demographic change over time to the extent that if the Republican Party is the party of white Christian conservatives and if, you know, the number of those people as a percentage of the American population declines, the co- that coalition becomes sort of untenable eventually. Ryan wants to find out how much people's dislike of their own party might be contributing to the dislike of the other. If I say I'm a Democrat, and then I also say I don't really like the Democratic Party that much, well then how do I justify being a Democrat if I like the Republican, if I dislike the Republican Party exactly the same amount? So what I have to say then is I like the Republican Party even less. Right? So... You, you might expect sort of parallel lines sloping down, even if all that's really changing is people's affect towards their own party is going down. Mason also wants to further investigate out-party dislike, but thinks it might come down to opposing social groups. Does our dislike of our other social outgroups actually predict dislike of our outgroup party, right? Can we say that, that hating our outgroup, our, our out-party, is driven largely by hating the groups that make up the party, right? Or is it, you know, actually disagreeing with them over what the government should do? Um, So I think it's important to kind of tease apart at this point, are we having these partisan battles because we disagree with each other, or are we having these partisan battles because we really don't like the social content of the other party, and they're not, they're people who aren't like us, and we don't understand that. Ryan's next step is to see whether we are reacting to the tribalist tendencies in our media. What is the impact of media, but also these sort of new technologies on aspects of polarization, right? So there have been studies that show as mentions of polarization goes up in, in the news, people feel they're more polarized, right? And so you have that sort of aspect uh, happening. And there's also studies that show that the people who post about politics on Twitter tend to be the most sort of extreme. And you sort of wonder, right, if part of the reason I'm, uh, that you have sort of even mild affective polarization uh, taking place, is that because the stereotypes of the, of who the partisans are, are driven by these people who post on social media, post on Twitter, and they're oftentimes very, not just extreme in their positions, but belligerent in their positions. There's a lot more to learn. Political Research Digest is available bi-weekly from the Niskanen Center on iTunes. I'm your host, Matt Grossman. Thanks to Liliana Mason and John Barry Ryan for joining me. Join us next time to find out how public opinion and parties in the states affect our policy differences.